Today, I'm going to be continuing our series. We're in the middle of a series. I love messages that become series when we don't intend for them to become series. And it's on one of the most important things that I could communicate to you. And I can tell you that my entire week, this whole week, I've been concerned. And I say this from you from, for, or to you from time to time, but I mean it with all my heart. I have anxiety about talking to you today because I think the only thing that could happen today um, besides you being blessed and walking away encouraged and changed is me not communicating what God's asked me to communicate to you. I think his message is so powerful today and so on point today that not only if you listen to it and receive it, can it change your life, but I know it can change the lives of those around you and those who are watching. And so I've been praying all week long, God, don't let me mess it up. And it has nothing to do with me. It's because I'm standing here and there's this word of God that's so powerful and so true and so relevant. And there are you guys and those online joining us who want to hear and need to hear. And I just got to get it out there. One of the most encouraging messages, one of the most powerful messages, one of the most applicable messages, something that our grandparents and great-grandparents and great-great-grandparents dealt with, something our kids, our grandkids, our great-great-grandkids will deal with. It's a topic that I guarantee you when I tell you what this topic is, you're going to nod your head a little bit. You're going to resonate. We're going to talk today about anxiety and worry. We're gonna to continue to talk about attitude and how to have a Christ-like attitude, how to have an attitude that transcends circumstances. You and I started this two weeks ago as we began talking about Philippians 4. And we talked about having joy in the Lord, rising above the circumstances in life and taking our joy from a few simple things, that God knows everything, that he is all powerful and controls everything and that God is everywhere. Nothing surprises him, has all the answers to the questions, controls all the circumstances to bring about his will. Then the next week we talked a little bit about, this was last Sunday, about leaving a drop of grace everywhere we go throughout this life that we set our standard of success based on how many people we can leave a little drop of grace or encouragement with or in as we move throughout the day, putting smiley face stickers on people who we love and even those who we don't even yet know. This week, we're gonna continue building this theme, building blocks to a great attitude. But before we go into the message, I wanna start with an introduction that I hope sets the tone or at least lays the ground rules or groundwork for us. One of the foundational parts, components, um, to having a good attitude, one of the best barometers of our spiritual and emotional health, one of the very best ways for us to check how it is we're doing in life and the things that really matter is to evaluate whether or not we're grateful. Because gratitude is one of the most foundational parts of a good attitude, but often one of the parts that you and I get wrong. Am I grateful? Man. Well, the opposite of gratitude is entitled. And when we're entitled, we think we deserve something. And I want to start off, it's sort of bleak and a little bit depressing, but we know the end of the story, so certainly it's not that depressing. I wanna just remind you that to be truly grateful, we have to rid ourselves of entitlement. Let me tell you how we do that. By telling yourself, saying to yourself, self, I don't deserve anything. Now the consequence of original sin, the consequence of the fall of humans, the consequence of separation between God and man is that we don't deserve anything. You and I don't deserve a good day. We don't deserve a happy marriage. 
We don't deserve a healthy life. We don't deserve money in the bank. We don't deserve a peaceful world. We don't deserve a united country. We don't deserve anything. And every good gift we get is from the Lord. And it's because of God's grace. We don't deserve it. But when we expect it and demand it and get mad when we don't get it, then we, we miss a really important part of what the Bible continues to come back to and what's at the center of this message today that we'll get to in a minute, and that is that we have to be grateful. So this is how I reminded myself this week. Um, Hobby Lobby worked so well last week that I, in fact, went again. I'm going to go every week to the Hobby Lobby and pick out my worship props. I bought a G that reminds me of gratitude. It's a golden G. I tried to put it on a chain. I was going to wear it around my neck today, and it would have been G for gangsta and also for gratitude. It was flopping. It didn't work. So I'm just going to show you. I put it in places that I would run into it uh, throughout my, my week. I put it on the bar in our kitchen. I got kind of annoyed joy, you know, because it was always there. And, and I put it in the bedroom and I put it on the dresser uh, where I got up in the morning and I saw it. And wherever I went, I kind of just stuck this G in places that I would make sure that I, I bumped into it because I need to remember I have to be grateful. I have to be grateful for the things that God's given me. I have to make sure that I'm not feeling entitled and feeling disillusioned and feeling, well, expecting and demanding things from God that I have no right to expect or demand. I have to, to do, well, at least three things. Three parts this week that have really been part of me learning to be grateful and approaching this passage with gratitude. And the first one is, is that I have to count my blessings. Now, counting your blessings is the opposite of counting all the things that you wish were different, things of the ways people have wronged you, the things that life has done to you that you think are unfair, um, all of the terrible stuff that you know, has happened or is happening. With every terrible thing, we end up having a positive thing or a beautiful thing in its place. There's a Bible song for those of us who've grown up in church. Count your blessings. Count your blessings. Name them one by one. Count your blessings. See what God has done. Count your many blessings. I'm not going to sing it for you because that's not, well, it's not my gift. But in my heart, it's a song. And it's a song I want to be in your heart as well. Count your blessings. We're not entitled to another day. But you, my friends, are breathing, and you're right here. You're not entitled to good health, but God has given you the strength to be able to show up this morning and to be fully present here in this room with these friends or present with us online. We're not entitled to a car that gets us from home to church. We're not entitled to the food that I ate this morning when I woke up and had to choose whether I wanted eggs or oatmeal. When I begin to count my blessings and name them one by one, my heart fills with gratitude, and yours should too. Number two, live in the moment. Gratitude pulls me right back to the moment, and you and I live with an enemy. The enemy is one word, and it's when, not W-I-N, W-H-E-N dot, 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 when, with an ellipsis, it is when things change, when I get a raise, when I get a promotion, when I get married, when I get healthy, when I grow up, when I graduate from college, and we always wait to be thankful for something else to happen. And to win, W-I-N, we have to get rid of the idea of when, W-H-E-N, and live in this moment. Number three is that you and I have to learn to put fear 
in the rearview mirror. That's what we're going to talk about today. One of the most important messages I can give you. And it's one of the most important messages that the Apostle Paul has given us because he does it over and over and over again. Gratitude. Remember, we got to have it. We have to choose it. Without it, none of this stuff I'm talking about works. So we're going to dive in. I hope you're ready to dive in. We got a little ground to cover. This again should be maybe three messages. I got it done in 31 minutes or so, first hour. We're going to even do better this hour, I hope. That all depends on you. If you act like you're listening and you smile and you encourage me, then I'll, I'll go ahead and we'll, we'll have a great time. Always be full of joy in the Lord. That was the first week. I say it again, rejoice. Let everyone see that you are what? Considerate or gracious in everything that you do. That was last week. Remember the Lord is coming soon. That was the end of last week. Don't worry about anything. That's this week. Instead, pray about everything. Also this week, tell God what you need. Thank him for all he's done this week as well. Then you will experience God's peace this week, which exceeds anything you can understand. Also this week, his peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. And the God of peace will be with you. Philippians 4, 4 through 9. So let's talk in review about attitude very quickly. Attitude, our attitude, our happiness has nothing to do with people. Sometimes we look at other people to make us happy. Can't do it. Not going to work. Sometimes people make us happy. Sometimes they don't. People are not the same. Not responsible. People can't make us happy. Circumstances can't make us happy. It's my responsibility to choose happiness. It's my responsibility to choose a good attitude. And the fastest way to change your life is to change your attitude or your perspective. It's not the most important thing, but it's a really important thing. It's not everything, but attitude is a great big thing. So be joyful in the Lord. Leave a drop of grace everywhere you go throughout the day. Don't worry about anything. Well, we're going to talk about that today. Let's look at it together. And by the way, here's another dangerous passage of scripture. It's another weapon that some unfeeling, well, probably well-meaning, but short-sighted Christians use to kind of slap people around with biblical truisms. Something you'd put on a bumper sticker or a greeting card, but in real life, sometimes it just stings in the worst possible way. When you're dealing with real issues in life, when you're dealing with real pain, and somebody says, don't worry about it, just pray. God's got it under control. Don't worry, be happy. Sounds like a Bobby Brown song, doesn't it? Oh, don't worry, brother. Pray about it. And you're like, my goodness, you don't know me. You don't know my circumstances. How dare you do a 36,000 foot flyover of my life and drop some kind of spiritual platitude bomb on me, getting all your junk all over me confusing me, ignoring me. But friends, the Apostle Paul, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is not doing a flyover of your life. He is writing straight to the heart of the issue with the Spirit that lives within us, the Holy Spirit speaking to us. It's custom-tailored, so let me unpack it for you so that you can see the difference this makes in your life. 
and it begins with a choice. Don't worry about anything, but you can. Don't worry about anything, but often we do. Don't worry about anything. Worry is an interesting subject. And here the Bible's giving us a choice, saying we can choose to worry, or we can choose not to. But as I've been thinking about this and talking to friends, I realize that worry means a lot of different things to people. There are some of us, myself included, who have sort of biological genetic predispositions toward anxiety. I've struggled with it my whole life. One of my sons struggles with it. Some of you guys struggle with it. And I've had literally friends come to me in tears with this passage, saying it, the Bible says, don't worry, but yet I can't stop worrying. I get that, and I understand it. And for some, it requires a little help. For some, it requires some medical help. For some, saying don't worry is like saying don't have diabetes or don't have cancer. It's just kind of the way we're, we're wired or created. But even in those of us who struggle with it, there's this line where if we step across, we're trying to play God. And we're trying to control things that aren't ours to control. And it's a point where worry, even for those who may be genetically predispositioned to it, well, it's a point where it can become sin. There are also people who are predispositioned toward worry. Talking to a friend last night or yesterday afternoon who's got a mother. All of us have mothers, right? Or had mothers, yeah. You're supposed to nod your heads. And when I said help me a minute ago, this is one of those ways you guys can help. You know, and the things you can all agree with go, yeah, we all had one um, a mother. And she said, my mom's a worrier. Now, I know watching my wife be a mother, she had lots of stuff to worry about. Right? I mean, she, my voice stressed that woman out. I mean, I'm surprised that she made it through. I get it. But that's not what she was talking about. She said, my mom can find something wrong with everything. I could say, mom, I want a million dollars. And she'd tell me how the dollar is going to collapse and how the government's going to fold and how the taxes are going to take up all my, and now being wealthy is going to ruin my life. I can tell her I'm going on vacation and she'd worry and say, the plane's probably going to crash and you're probably going to get COVID when you get there and they might shut down the hotel and they're probably going to lose your reservations. And I mean, tells you all the things that normal people would never think about, but they've gone pro and worrying. I mean, they've passed the minors, right? They've made it to the majors. They're batting a thousand and obsessing over things. But it's not really worry as we drilled down a little bit. This was what we were talking about at the fair. Never go anywhere with me because everything ends up working its way back to a sermon. We're talking about this, right, at the fair. Um, I could have preached. It's not really worry more than it is pessimism when it gets to that point. We talked about that on week number one. It's not as much worry as it is um, negativity, right? And that's a sin. Because Christians who are pessimistic and negative, I want to be careful when I say this because I love you and I don't want to hurt anyone. But a Christian who's pessimistic and negative either doesn't really 
understand the gospel or maybe hasn't really found Jesus in the first place. Because there's no room for us to choose that disposition as a normal way of life. Granted, some struggle with it biologically and from the environment we were raised. But it's just a fact. But worry, when we choose to worry, can be sin. And the Bible says, the Apostle Paul says, listen, if you want a great attitude, if you want the world to see how strong Jesus is, if you want the solution to the problems that everyone is facing right now, one of the things you have to embrace is you have to make the decision, I'm not going to worry. Worry about what? Worry about anything. Now, it's important to know that sometimes God just gives us these, these softballs where he just throws these passages up to us for us just to knock out of the park. This is one of those times because the word worry here well, Scripture interprets itself. It's such a gift for those of us who love to study the Bible because there's another spot in the Bible where the same word is used and it literally defines what the Apostle Paul is talking about. Because if someone tells me, don't worry about anything, I'm going to be like, well, what do you mean anything? Define anything. Well, what about this? Is this part of anything? Is that part of anything? I try to find the loopholes in everything. And the Apostle Paul says, don't worry about anything anything, but the Sermon on the Mount, a sermon that Jesus gave to his disciples and others who were listening as he was saying from his own mouth, if you want to follow me, there's a different way for you to live. There is freedom that comes, friends, and a peace you've never known. These are the things to know. And he goes through a whole section on worry in the Sermon on the Mount. So he says, therefore, I tell you, don't even worry about your life. He goes on to break this down into four very important parts. First of all, don't worry about your physical sickness or safety. That's the first thing he said. You can choose to worry about your physical sickness and your safety, but you don't have to worry about your physical condition and your safety. It's a conscious choice. But Jesus himself is saying, you don't have to worry. Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? No, but boy, do we try. Man, physical sickness and safety, that's like the number one issue that we face, that we see on the news today. We're in the middle of a pandemic. Who's not a little bit worried about physical safety and security? There are wars, conflict, violence, Who's not a little worried about physical safety? I want to tell you something that to me is comforting. It in no way is dismissive or belittles anything that we're going through in our world today. But I want to help ground you um, in some perspective. Because I think a lot of times Christians, we lose a little perspective. I've talked to some friends who are absolutely convinced that Jesus is coming again tomorrow at 11.15 a.m. or Tuesday at 9.07 because the world's never been as bad as it is now and everything's falling apart. And friends, can I tell you that it has been as bad as it is now? That in the Old Testament, the Old Testament is full of stories of coups, of wars, of overthrows, of genocide, of slavery, of sex crimes, of pandemics. And the only reason we don't know any more about it is because they didn't have the internet. No Fox News reporters or CNN 
but it's been going on for a long, long time. And God has a plan and the gospel survives. And I want to suggest to you that the gospel can thrive. We're living in a tough time, but I'm grateful that I'm alive. I'm grateful that I have this relationship with Jesus. I'm grateful that I have a perspective that goes beyond the things and experiences that we face in life. I choose to be grateful. I'm not going to curse the darkness. I'm going to light a candle. The glass is not half empty, it's half full. People used to play games with the Apostle Paul. They'd be like, hey, life is hard. And he'd go, yeah, sometimes, and sometimes it's awesome. Well, sometimes you go to jail. Sometimes you do go to jail, the Apostle Paul would say. Well, sometimes you got shipwrecked. And he'd say, yep, got snake bit too. And, and they would say, and sometimes you die. And you could never win the argument with this guy because he always was an optimist, always positive, And he would trump everyone's argument going, yeah, to live is Christ. Sometimes it's really hard. Sometimes it's really amazing. But you know what? To die is gain. What happens if we lose our life? We go on to the real life beyond. And the more we understand and believe heaven, the more power we have over this stuff here on this earth. You don't have to worry about physical sickness and safety, but you can. It's your choice. You don't have to worry about clothing. I chuckle at this one because um, my wife dresses me on Sunday mornings. I don't even have to worry at all. She just, I was like, hey, what about this? She's like, yes or no. And, and uh, you know, make sure that whatever goes wherever. And, but that's not at all what the Bible's talking about. Don't worry about the clothes you put on. In Jesus' day, clothing was much, much more important than just an outfit that you wore. It was what protected you against the elements, what kept you warm when temperatures would kill you, what kept you cool or protected from the sun when sunburns could you know, ruin your life. Much, much more important than just what shirt you choose to wear or whether your pants and belt and shoes, whatever. I mean, clothing. What does he say? Don't worry about it. See how the flowers, the beautiful flowers of the field grow? They don't labor or spin, but somebody takes care of them and watches after them. He says, don't worry about food and drink. So don't worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? Now, I need to talk to you for another second because here's a choice you have to make, we get to make. And uh, what the Bible's telling us here is that we can choose to be grateful for what we have or we can focus on what we wish we had or on what other people have and we'll constantly worry about these things. Finally, he says, don't worry about the future. My gosh, I'm worried about the future. I mean, who's going to know what's going to happen to the future? I mean, the future's scary. The future's out of control. The future looks crazy. The future, therefore, don't worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. How many of you have ever said in your life, I love to say this to you because it's a good grounder and perspective for me, uh, I just need a little more drama today. I don't have enough trauma in my life. <laughs> I have never one day said that. I think I may know a few people who say that from time to time. Even this week, I have thrown my hands up several times and said, I don't need any more drama. I don't want any more drama. But we bring drama into our lives all the time by picking fights that aren't ours to fight, by sticking our nose into problems that aren't ours to solve, by wandering places that we're not supposed to go, and living above and beyond our pay grade. 
and we have to choose. But we don't have to worry about tomorrow. But we can. Well, what does he say? Therefore, don't worry about anything. Instead, and let's go ahead and move on, pray about everything. Tell God what you need. Thank him for everything that he has done. Now, before we continue or as we continue, I want to make sure that when we tell God what we need, that we're willing to allow God to in turn tell us what we really need. But the promise here is important, but there's a responsibility that you and I have. The first command in this three-part little breakdown of prayer is to invite God into every part of your day. God, I want to be a person you can bless, so I want to build a blessable life. To do that, we have to invite God into our day. God, how is it that I should run my relationship with my employer or employees? How is it that I should operate my business if I want to be blessable to you, Lord? How is it that I can be a blessable husband as I bless my wife or a blessable father as I try to bless my kids? How is it that I can be a blessable friend as I try to bless those who are around me? To do that, we have to invite God into every part of our life because, friends, we make decisions every day. And if we don't allow him to be part of our life on these daily decisions throughout the day, we're going to blow it because I don't really think all the time often how to make these kinds of decisions. And so he says, look, invite God in to be a normal part of your day. Number two, tell him what you need. Tell him what you want. Now, I was a parent, still am a parent, but my boys buy what they want for the most part by themselves now. But when they didn't, never one time did my kids ask for something and I smack them in the back of the head and say, you bonehead, why would you ask me for that? Grow up and ask me for something else. Now, if you do that, you're a bad parent. Don't smack your kids, period. Kids shouldn't be smacked in the back of the head anyway. Um, and we need to say encouraging words and build them up. But God never looks at us and says, Bonehead, why in the world would you, why in the world would you do that? And smack them in the back of the head, right? Grow up. Um, puts his arm around us and says, "I get it. I know how much you want it. I know how much you think you need it. But friends, this is what you and I have to do to trust God to provide all these things. We have to tell God. We have to allow God to define in our life what is enough." what my needs really are. Because many times we continue to ask God for the things we think we deserve, the things that we want, the things that other people have, the things we think we're entitled to, and God loves us too much to give us the things that will ruin our lives. God, what's enough? What if my standard of living isn't up to what I expect or demand? What if my reputation isn't what I think I deserve? What if I don't have all of the resources that everyone else has? What if my driveway doesn't look like my neighbors? What if my neighborhood doesn't look like my friends? What if the degrees that are on my wall don't look like 
my parents, or my kids. What is enough for me, God? Because I know you're going to give me enough, but I need you to give me enough. I'm going to tell you what I think I need, but at the same time, I'm going to receive what it is you give me with gratitude. Be thankful for everything. How many times do we forget to say thank you? Thank you, God, for the 51 and a half years that I have lived. Thank you, God, for the 31 years I've been married. Thank you, God, for the 30 years I've been able to serve in church. People you love sharing the message that Jesus came to give us. Thank you, God, for my friends, you guys. The privilege to be able to come here in this room and hang out with you and talk about these things. Thank you, God. Now, sure, are there things I wish were different? Absolutely. But God's given me enough. Never let me down. Be thankful for everything. Tell him what we need. Invite him into every moment of our day. And you, if you're like me, you're like, all right, I'm tracking with you. Then what happens? Let me explain it as we land this plane. Then you will experience God's peace. Now, we don't have a lot of time to develop this. We're going to try to do it quickly. Three things about God's peace. First of all, it is supernatural. This is what that means. God has custom-tailored peace for you and for me that he will give us. Jesus promised peace. The apostle Paul, peace comes back to peace. The Jews called it shalom. Everything's right between God and me and so everything's okay in the world. But it's not okay. It's scary. It's dangerous. It's unpredictable. It's out of control. It's scary for us. It's dangerous for us. It's unpredictable for us. It's out of control for us. But it's not out of control for God. It's not dangerous for God. It's not unpredictable for God. And he'll give us a peace that is custom-tailored and supernatural. Second, transcendent. I love to say it this way. It'll blow your mind. Because it's not from you. The word literally means knowledge can't explain it. You've got to see it. And when you see it, you will be like, wow, God, this supernatural peace. I mean, you know, pastor talked about it. I read about it in the book, but my goodness, it's right here. And it will literally blow your mind. Don't take my word for it, friends. Take the apostle Paul as he writes under the inspiration of God himself. Take God's word for it. And then number three, and this is my favorite part. God's peace is supernatural and custom tailored for us. It'll blow your mind. And then here's the image. This is a military term. That once it's in there, once we've made these choices, Jesus Christ is posted at the doorway to your heart and he stands guard. And he said, you want to get to Rick's heart? You got to come through me. You want to bust through Lori's heart and steal her joy? and fill her with anxiety and concern and a preoccupation with self, you gotta come through me. She's mine, I love her, 
and I have filled her with God's peace. And I'm not making this stuff up, friends. Jesus says this. The Apostle Paul reminds us, Jesus is going to stand guard at your heart. Friends, there's nobody that can get through him. So, our choice. What are we going to do? KCCI, for those joining online, that's one of our local news networks, right? I read it, an article on the web entitled, Anxious Times, How to Deal with Anxiety. I'm like, whoo, I want to read this one, right? And uh, they interviewed a clinical psychiatrist, lots of initials after her name, very impressive, MD, PhD, you know, whatever D, that D, you know, lots of Ds, lots of, a very smart lady, I'm very, very sure. She wrote an article, attitude's the most important thing to deal with these anxious times. I'm like, yeah, you had to go to school to learn it. My Bible tells me for free. But she goes on to explain it. And of course, she did it in a very witty way. She said, there's three things we need, three C's, three C's to deal with these anxious times, to have a great attitude. The first one she said is community and connection. Same, one C, two parts. Community, connection with other people. Now, this pandemic over the last year and a half has separated us from each other. We know we need to connect. We know we need community. It's one of the greatest reasons, one of the biggest reasons that we do these city groups that are beginning in just a couple of weeks for us to be able to break up into groups of 10 or 12 or 14 in people's homes all across, well, at least a 10-minute drive from the church so that we can connect and know each other and go beyond the superficial and have real friendships. But she said, you need to connect. Now, she said it, but my Bible reinforces it, so I know it's true. The Bible says that we are created to live in a herd, you and I not insulated or isolated and insulated and separated. The second thing that she said that we need to do, and she said not just to, to connect with people, but she wanted us to be challenged with things, to challenge ourselves with things, things that we're not good at things that we struggle at, things that we need other people who we're connected to to be part of and want to do with us. And I'm reading this article and I'm like, man, I'm really bad at being a follower of Jesus. I mean, I'm really bad at, I mean, I don't compare myself to you, by the way, and you shouldn't compare yourself to the people who are around you. I'm comparing myself to, to Jesus and to Paul, and I'm really bad at it, right? I'm not very good. I'm not very good at having peace, and I'm not very good at not being anxious, and I'm not very good at eliminating worry. I'm not even good at leaving drops of grace throughout my day. I'm not very good at having joy in the Lord. I mean, I'm not good at it. And I thought, wow, one of the ways that I can overcome anxiety and I can overcome these kinds of things that we're dealing with is connect with other Christians, and as I connect with other Christians, I can connect and do something challenging for me, which I'm not very good at. But knowing that together, as we continue to practice our faith, we get better and better. And the better and better we get, the more Jesus is fully at home in our hearts, the more he stands guard over our hearts, the more peaceful that you and I become. And we do it together. The third thing as she developed these thoughts was that she encouraged us 
to stretch or to invest. But the way she ended the article was my favorite. She said, there's a sweet spot in life that I want you to get to. And she said, this is how you know. She said, I want you to find the things that you say are important to you. Identify these things. Write them down. And then look at the time you have available to you. The time when you're not doing the things you have to do, but the things you choose to do or when you're doing nothing. And when you have your list of things that you say are important to you and you have your list of time that's available to you, see what kind of overlap there is. See what kind of intersection there is. And she said the intersection between what you say is important and the time you have doing these things that are important, that's your sweet spot. And she said the secret to a great attitude in terrible times and overcoming this anxiety that we deal with every day is as simple as living in your sweet spot. And friends, you and I have a custom-tailored sweet spot presented to us through the Apostle Paul and every other writer of the New Testament inspired by God himself. And we get to live it together every single day. So, the third piece or part of having a good attitude. The first was joy in the Lord. The second was gracious to all. The third is don't worry about anything. Now, next week, you've got to come back. You have to. Because I'm going to tell you exactly how it is that you can do this. And it will change your life immediately. You literally, I promise you this is true, will walk away from this place living differently if you choose to take the Bible at its word. And I can't wait to share it with you. Father, thank you for my friends.